Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hello there. Uh, before we start this week's programme, can I just say massive, massive thank you to everyone who's donated cash since our last episode, uh, and especially to those of you who have selected our new regular payment option. Huzzah! Uh, you can now donate a little bit of money, or a lot of money, should you so wish, on an ongoing basis themediapodcast.com slash dedicate. Uh, Go there, join the ranks of our supporters, and you'll ensure that we'll be here not only in a fortnight's time, uh, but in the months after that as well. themediapodcast.com slash dedicate. You can select from a range of different levels of support. Pause the podcast, do it now, give generously, uh, and then press play, knowing that you have supported this show and made it happen. And for those that have donated, stand by. You get a dedication at the end of the show. I'm just saying that now so you can prepare yourself. It's very exciting. Here's the show. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, with spinny chair talent show The Voice rumoured to be leaving the Beeb, is it a win-win for the rivals at ITV? The BBC Store launches online. Our panel attempts to download every single episode of Casualty. Uh, Plus, we digest the latest newspaper figures, we discuss the winners and losers in the Christmas advertising wars, and we make one final plea to stand up for the Freedom of Information Act. That's all coming up on today's Media Podcast. And joining me this Friday morning at the Hospital Club, and it really is morning, uh, it is 9am, which is the earliest we've ever recorded a pod, so everyone sounds a bit gravelly, coffee is on the go, uh, are nonetheless two celebrated media professionals. Uh, the first, Folder Media's creative director and all-round radio guy, Matt Deegan. Hello, Matt. Hello, good morning. And the second is Metro.co.uk's deputy editor, Alex Hudson. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. The internet never stops, so I imagine you're awake all the time. <laughs> At the moment, genuinely pretty much. I love the fact that we, we all feel really sorry for ourselves, even though nine o'clock in the morning is not at all an unusual <laughs> time to do anything in anyone else's job. Uh, but there you go, that's the media industry. Uh, right, now you've both got an ear to the ground. You know when exciting things are afoot. Uh, enlighten us, what should we be knowing about this week? Matt? Uh, I like what Capital Extra have done with their mobile app. Uh, They have a new function that if you are listening to the radio station and you want to skip one of the broadcast songs, uh, you can. Uh, And it pops you into uh, a kind of substream uh, of all the songs that are kind of coming up on the radio station. Uh, And it's nice and clever. And it's clearly version one, and the handing back to the live stream isn't really there yet, but I'm sure they'll get there with it. Uh, But we know that people like skipping songs. And why shouldn't radio stations work out how to let people skip tunes? That's a really clever idea, but can you skip the other stuff they don't want you to skip? Can you skip the host and can you skip the ads? 
At the moment you can, though I imagine at some point you won't be able to. But it's a good start and I think it's a good way to rethink actually what a radio station is. You know, it's if you skip out of live into on demand, you still get presenter intros to songs as well. So All they've right. they've kind of recorded bits onto bits and it's it's clever. Well done then. Well done, Capital Extra. Easier, I guess, though, in a, a very playlist heavy station like Capital Extra. It'd be harder, wouldn't it, on radio too? You skip know, so Popmaster, skip Popmaster. Skip Popmaster, <laughs> give me lashings of Beverly Craven. Uh, Alex, what have you spotted this week? I'm going to spot something slightly less new, but it's the one-year anniversary of Economist Espresso. It's just gone over one million subscribers. It's, you should explain what it is for those it who have, It's is, an app, right? It's an app, and it's a morning briefing, so it arrives in your on your phone at about 6 in the morning, give or take. I'm, I'm rarely awake at 6 a.m., and it just gives you seven stories of here is the world as the economist sees it in a morning. So it's something we've what's the correct way of saying this without sounding like we stole it? We've been creatively inspired <laughs> by that for some of the stuff that Metro's working on because it's just a brilliant, brilliant idea of a very digestible, very quick, very simple summary of what is happening in the world. Well the complication though it seems to me with all of these news digests. Uh, products, whether it's an app that you actually pay for, like the Economist one, or, or whether it's actually just one of those morning briefings you get in an email. Mm. Uh, I get the Media Guardian one, I get the Telegraph's Politics one. In a way, it extends their brand into your life, but in another way, it stops you buying their paper even more, doesn't it? I mean, you're getting it for free, you're getting it in your inbox. I, I don't think I would regularly visit the Telegraph website before that Telegraph Politics briefing came out. And now I'm way more likely to visit their site and By engage. clicking the links in it, through the email. Not even that, just their, their awareness of their brand, I think, is because of the effort that goes into that that email briefing is a lot of effort. Like the, the comprehensiveness of that briefing is brilliant. And it makes you think, oh, Telegraph, I will check them out. I think we like people who give us value. Uh, and it, I think it does need to be more than a list of links. There needs to be some um, uh, context there as well. But yeah, we like people who help us out. Yeah, shout out to the Spectator Coffee House as well. Whilst we're discussing all of this, uh, do you have any morning briefings that you like, Matt? Uh, no, but I, I get quite a few now weekly emails. So uh, like uh, Benedict Evans, who's a kind of tech analyst, uh, British guy, but um, now in Silicon Valley, uh, does a, a really great one each week. And there's a few of those. And also the time it comes, some of those come like sort of Sunday evening. And I think working out when to receive those things is quite an interesting thing. There, there are now machines and algorithms that can tell the average time that an audience member will open their email and send an email three minutes before they are most likely to open their inbox. That becomes a little bit frightening, but great for us. Speaking of the science of distribution, let's move on to our first story, uh, which is all about the voice, uh, which I, I feel like I've said far too much on this show. I mean, it's just an entertainment <laughs> show. It's just become this absolutely kind of... Uh, what's the opposite of a cause celeb? I don't know. <laughs> Something hanging around the BBC's neck, anyway. ITV... Uh, having recently bought Talpa Media, which of course owns The Voice, um, would have been a win-win for them either way, even if the BBC had signed up to have The Voice for two more years. But it looks increasingly likely, as we know, that the show is going to next air on ITV. So they own the format, and now they're going to run the show as well. Uh, plugging a gap in the channel's Saturday night lineup, some say. Uh, others say, Matt, do we need another singing contest on ITV? I and mean, the whole point was, this was the BBC's version of it. Yes. I mean, uh, I sort of feel bad... You know, because it's personal opinion and lots of people like it. I've no, the voice has always seemed the kind of also ran of the uh, vote-off people world. Um, I'm sure most people at the BBC are celebrating the fact they no longer have to say uh, this is public service when it clearly isn't. Um, uh, ITV get it, but the bit that in, I think is interesting is that they get a kids' version as well. Uh, and actually, 
would will that be the one that's that, that gets people's interest? Um, bring back was it was it Tiny Pops that awful Channel Four uh, thing from the past? That feels like a show that can't exist now. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure it won't be anything like that. But I, people like the idea of, of you know kid you see kids on Britain's Got Talent and those sorts of things. So maybe the Voice Juniors will will be something that's quite strong. I think the Voice has a, a nicer vibe to it, doesn't it? Like they, they, it's more positive the, the feedback, isn't it? And that the contestants tend not to be put through the emotional ringer to quite yeah. the same extent. So maybe it's, it feels a bit less uncomfortable. It, I feel they run out of format after they've turned around their chairs. Yes, I think it's probably <laughs> it about right. feels more BBC. And I think that's the scary thing about it. Whereas the X Factor is this, you know, we'll shout, we'll make confusing faces at you, we'll point, we'll throw insults at you. The voice is very much, hello, we're your friend. Can we be your friend? Can we have a very nice time and we'll not even look at you before we judge you? And the second it moves to ITV, the reason that the BBC haven't done the young person's one is because of the worry of the pressure that it mm. puts on children, which is the BBC being exactly what the BBC should be and having duty of care. Second it goes to ITV, oh, children, children can get us viewings. How do we go about maximising our audience? It's not about this. It's thinking about it in a different way for a commercial broadcaster. Yeah, I mean, they'd say, wouldn't they, that they've got teams of psychologists looking after the children's welfare mm. and all the rest of it, but we all As it's know. turned out for all children's, all child celebrities turned out perfectly functional, normal, Absolutely. entirely yeah. well-adjusted human beings. Well, that's it. And you can think the way all the way back to sort of new faces and opportunity mm. knocks and the kids that were on those shows and how they all ended up completely messed up through the ringer. I've interviewed a few of them for a piece I was working on. They're engaging and they're interesting <laughs> and they make a great article... I wouldn't take your particular point of view. <laughs> Let's talk about the BBC and whether now we've removed this stick that people were beating them with, uh, whether that means they're in the clear. The problem is they haven't actually got a Saturday Night Entertainment format to plug the gap with, so they're going to need something. They do keep trying, though. There, there is always something... There's a good two new things a year they'll have a go at. Before we move on from talking about telly, we were talking about Vice last episode, moving into broadcast... TV, and this strikes me as the kind of thing we should actually be asking both of you, so let's briefly do that. Uh, Matt, what do you reckon? To Vice's TV channel? Yeah. So I wrote a thing on um, a medium, actually, the, the other week, and clearly they've done a deal with A&E, who have invested into, into Vice and took shareholding last year. Um, I imagine they've got a sweet deal on the distribution of it. Uh, if I was looking at it, there is no way a Vice broadcast analogue in effect TV channel can be a success the kids who like Vice aren't watching television cord cutting all of that kind of stuff if I'm Vice I wouldn't care because I've probably got an amazing deal uh, it's going to fund a load more uh, video content which is going to be on my website uh, it's a new opportunity to talk to advertisers again across uh, the the web and the TV channel uh, A&E have a sexy product to sell even though probably no one will watch and I think it'll be gone in three years Alex. Wow. I, I think it will stay a little bit longer than that. I think its format might change and I think it might move a little bit more in the same way that BBC Three is moving, well, it's becoming the digital channel. I think eventually it will end up there. But Vice have an incredibly clever business model and they understand the power of having an analogue channel as a a place to get revenue. People still pay way more for TV than I would say arguably they should because mm. people go off and make a cup of tea during the adverts, they don't engage with them. Whereas online you have them tailored, you have them personalised, they know exactly what you want. And Vice already works with content partnerships that are brilliant. There are very rarely programmes on Vice, excluding the news loss leader, that aren't brought to you by a very expensive product that have paid a lot of money to have their product placed in that format. And it's an extension of that which I think will be profitable. Whether or not it, it lasts long, I'm not sure, but it, 
it will be a clever it's a clever business idea i think it's gonna be great marketing for them because uh, they're gonna get loads of plugging on the other a and e channels and it'll bring vice to a different audience as well uh, and yeah i completely agree that from the digital sales angle it's kind of good news but i don't think anybody's going to really consume the analog product well i knew you'd be people to ask <laughs> um, actually, just on that final one quick pick up on that, Matt, you were saying that uh, you know the kids who watch Vice was the phrase you used would move on. I wonder. I mean, obviously that's relevant to your radio station, Fun Kids, for example, because mm. literally there, there comes an age where you cannot tolerate listening to children's music anymore, yes. and there's an age where you love it. Uh, but with Vice, do you think actually it is just a product that only is ever going to entertain young people, or might those young people get older with it as the BBC attempts to do? I, I would have thought so. I mean, most media brands age with their audience, kind of, whether they want to or not. And so millennials, um, as, they, as they grow up, I'm sure will we'll, we'll stay alongside it. You know, it's a, um, an excellent kind of content creator and it's you know, well-funded and all those things. So the, the trick of all youth brands is to try and remain youthful whilst, um, whilst your audience age. But I think Vice has already stopped being a bespoke youth brand I think Vice News is still industry leading in foreign news coverage, no one is inside in Syria in the same way that Vice News are no one was inside Ukraine in the same way Vice News has been, I don't think any other journalists from any other network managed to get kidnapped at certain points, so they're taking more risks but I think that's strengthening their brand and it brings you to almost a Radio 4 audience it's that quality of coverage Alright, let's let's move on from uh, all this newfangled new media stuff and talk about newspapers, remember them uh, the ABCs were out on Thursday uh, that's the Audit Bureau of Circulation Fact Fans, they compile stats on the newspaper industry including online traffic so come back Vice viewers uh, Alex, let's start with the online stuff uh, because your paper, the Metro uh, is the fastest growing newspaper site in Britain, muzzle tough Yay, thank you very much. Are you, are you directly responsible for that? I imagine so. Of course, at all times. <laughs> I take all responsibility for the ridiculous hard work that, my, that the staff that I look after do. No, it's, I think we had a struggle in September, so I think it's partly that. And I think we've I've spent the last few months working on things and they're now slowly beginning to take effect. So we've doubled our social team size because social media is the internet. We're about to, I think, quadruple our video team size once again because video is becoming the internet. And our team is growing and growing quickly, which I'm so excited about because it means I might get more sleep. Not for the moment, but it's just down to good journalism that is seeded and put in the right places. And, and this might be something that's a bit difficult for you to talk about completely, honestly, but I, I, it seems don't to me... don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but it seems to me, of all the major newspaper brands, Metro is, is one of the blandest in brand terms. Like it does what it does very well, but it does what it does which gives you a free product with the news without too much of an attitude about it. Does that work online? Is there a place for that online when we've got the BBC? I'm going to be very, very careful <laughs> and speak very slowly now. Um, I think... The paper product and the digital product are two different things. So we're run separately and there's a different editorial tone. So there is more of an editorial tone online because when you're commuting, you don't want to have your views forced upon you because that's not what the Metro should nor is doing. Uh, digitally, I think the blank canvas is one of the most attractive things. People think of Metro digitally, they think of, oh, it's it's metro it's it's a thing that doesn't quite mean anything yet so the chance to come in and shape that and what it becomes so it becomes so it skews younger than metro paper and it develops this very unique voice that we've spent months and months working on getting exactly right and then we're slowly pushing it out so by the new year all of our staff should be in place and the audience surveys and all of the audience research should be back and we you should hopefully start seeing metro even more in your feeds 
as time goes on. So hopefully, I think you're probably correct about it being down the middle, and we don't want to start this partisan vote somebody or vote somebody else as other newspapers do, even digitally. That's sometimes it's horrible, but it's taking those views and offering those opinions and trying to resonate with an audience. Sounds good. Sounds like you need an Ollie Man column, though. Uh, what <laughs> if, else? If you're cheap. <laughs> if you're... Sticking with digital, Alex. What else did you notice? You know, from your, from your rivals. One of the interesting things is Mirror's second month struggling. I think the Guardian are still growing strong, and the t- I think the Guardian are producing a very thorough business model that is sustainable and is growing. And I think the Telegraph and uh, uh, Malcolm, who's the new digital director, well, newish. I don't think he's new anymore. He's now been there about a year. You can see his changes, and so the new head of trending content is starting uh, next week at the Telegraph, and Helena Horton, who's a journalist I've worked with before, is part of that trending team, and you can see exactly where their aspirations are to move into content which is not traditionally Telegraph. Because the Telegraph audience are taking a little bit of time getting used to it, you can see that lag, but you can see now they're slowly getting used to it, and it's a strength to the Telegraph, because they have a very comprehensive, from the very young end, the skewed end of trending and the small social side of it right through to the political briefing that we were talking about earlier of Asa Bennett spending four hours in the morning writing a lot of words for a much older skewed audience. Mm. What about print then? Uh, Matt, seems to be a familiar story here. Success in print is uh, managing the rate of decline. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a tough space to be in, isn't it? There's more competition for people's attention. You know, as we've talked about digital products, the old the digital pennies versus analog pounds uh, you have to reinvent your model and reinvent your content at the same time you see it with the 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 sun's transition to paywall back out of paywall again as it realized it's uh, actually not being online has affected its uh, kind of analog take up uh, because they're not part of the part of the conversation anymore Are are there any success stories in print we should be focusing on I has still the potential to be a huge success and so there's so many different arguments and you hear Greenslade particularly talk about this time and time again in The Guardian so he's the Guardian columnist and we're talking about the I here the independent the, the system I, yeah. otherwise people might just think that was a lazy use of pronouns <laughs> <laughs> people know what the I is now and it's a case of if the independent doesn't exist or didn't exist or had its budget cut the I would struggle because of it but because there is a belief that the paper becomes even more of a paper of record that in the same way as Economist Espresso is that morning briefing of here is what happened yesterday the paper is more and more becoming here is a thing that happened yesterday and you want that in the 20 minutes that it takes you to get to work and because I is so cheap and so well put together and well thought out it is surviving better than the others and also is it a, an element that they haven't got all that sort of baggage of the past I think lots of newspapers, you know, the, the brands do carry quite a bit of baggage. Except, I'm sorry to be the harbinger of doom here, I'm saying the same thing that I said when we were talking about The Economist. I actually, as it happened, got given a free copy of The Independent on Saturday, and inside, I think by error, was a copy of The Eye. So I had them both. Uh, and I read them side by side on a Saturday, because I was curious to see what had they left out from The Independent from The Eye. And the answer was nothing, as far as I could tell. <laughs> it was all the same. It's not like like even Janet Street Porter's column and that kind of thing was in the eye as well as in the Independent, and it was laid out better and it was more engaging. And I thought, well, I'll never buy the Independent then. I'll just buy the cheaper one. They're cannibalising their own audience, aren't they? Now you've said that, I think maybe they I have noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. If you get the morning papers every morning as we do, you notice the obvious similarities. If you're the person that 
only buys one paper, you're never going to notice that, so you keep buying the independent because you see it as more reputable than the eye, even though it's the same paper. So if you're an independent reader listening to this, you're wasting 80p a day. No, Amalia's lovely. It's, that, it's that, that brand baggage. So people have already made a brand decision about the independent, either pro or con. Mm. Um, and same for the eye readers, who've perhaps never sampled the independent before, but it's a brand which appeals more to them, even though the content is the same. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Some news in brief now, and after a few years of declining DVD sales, the BBC has launched an online store for its commercial sales. They're calling it the BBC Store, inventively. Matt, how does it work? Uh, It works exactly as you'd expect. You would go online and you can download to keep something. It's sort of, why haven't they managed to be able to launch this? It's a very simple product. It clearly has some development plan but like there's no previews of of videos i was really surprised so if you want to get a preview of that pointless episode from three years ago just before you pay one pound 49 for it uh you can't so i imagine that's coming uh i think it's just clearing stuff from the past isn't it and getting it on there um they should have something which uh you can buy anything that's previously been on the bbc of course there's always the issue of well i've paid for this already as a license fee payer why am i having to pay for it again but you know rights, the world, all of that kind of stuff being the answer. Um, and it's a fair comparison, isn't it, that in the 80s and 90s, people used to get their dads for Christmas, the Only Fool's Norse's box set. Yeah. They used to pay for that then, even though they'd paid for it before and it was on telly. Absolutely. It's just the modern equivalent yeah, and, and now they'll get a, kind of a credit card size voucher from Tesco's that allows their dad to buy a selection of uh, Only Fools and Horses episodes. Uh, of course, we've had the BBC Store, if you work in media, as part of BBC Redux, uh, which pretty much is the cheap free version for people who work with the BBC. And Alex, the BBC say... I'm a bit biased here because, I, like I say, I've just justified why the BBC Store exists as well. I think it makes perfect sense, just the same as DVD sales. The BBC say it's not in competition with Netflix and Amazon Prime. Is there any argument that, in fact, it is, and this is the wrong thing for them to do? 
No, genuinely not. <laughs> I just, just think the BBC is underfunded for the amount of stuff it produces. And so they have to... The reason that Doctor Who sells worldwide, the reason that Top Gear has sold worldwide, is not because they're somehow altruistic and want to go around the world sharing their content. It's because they need to subsidise the licence fee, which isn't high enough for the volumes. So it makes absolute perfect sense that they need to make more money. You know, uh, what did Tim Davies say that not selling content abroad would add £10 extra to the licence fee. I've always said that I think the BBC needs to evolve to a new model. Uh, I think even though if you're a licence fee supporter, the concept of a, uh, a tax that you have to pay or else you go to jail is surely something that, that can't survive forever. Actually, if you think about the BBC store, if they really scale it, it has pretty much everything at the point in which a subscription came in at a 10 a month or 15 a month, if that became a Netflix-type service, perhaps that would be quite attractive uh, for the people as they convert from, from licence fee payers. Yeah, I mean, in that sense they would then potentially be pulling their content off the other video-on-demand services, wouldn't they? And actually, I, as a customer, would probably spend an extra £10 a month to, to well, watch it, any BBC programme. If ever. that became your licence fee equivalent, yeah. then, you know... If you don't have a licence fee that is mandatory, <clears throat> albeit you're, you're, it's a regressive tax, so you're taxing the poor more, relatively speaking, which is an entirely different conversation, but you lose a lot of the BBC's uh, sure. best content. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, but it's that thing, isn't it? Can they keep it forever? Okay, all right. Liz Howell's not here today, but her spirit is in the room. Uh, Right, we're going to move on to FOI uh, because, well, we've been talking about this in every episode because it is important. It's basically the government trying to stop uh, journalists getting facts from the government. Um, Their public consultation on the Freedom of Information Act ends next week. Uh, So make sure you get your responses in if this matters to you. There's a link at themediapodcast.com. Alex, a few organisations, though, have defended the Freedom of Information Act as it stands. Uh, PA, Michael Sheen, uh, what have they been saying this week? (laughs) I think Michael Sheen, what what was the exact quote from Michael Sheen? He was saying that it's a massive affront on on the rights of people to find out what is going on behind closed doors. And he makes perfect sense. Like Local newspapers, because they don't have the time and resources to spend six weeks out in the field trying to find the right person to speak to about some fraud, but you send in an um, FOI request, and a month later you get back the best story you've ever had. If you look at... So the Oxford Mail have been very big on this. If you look at the story that um, was released, I think also by the Oxford Mail, about David Cameron um, last week, which is almost a smoking gun about the cuts to government and the cuts to councils, that doesn't happen without a lot of intrepid journalism and this existing. And because I spend too much time on Twitter, um, Jerry Hassan... Uh, who I follow on Twitter, it costs £9 million a year to the government because the government is saying this is a massive, massive cost and it's horrible and we can't possibly justify this amount of expenditure. £9 million for FOI. They spent £290 million on advertising last year as a comparison, which that excuse does not stand up. FOI is not an expense to the government that they can't sustain and it's vital for the transparency of government and it's vital for the robustness of reporting that we can make those requests and we can ask for that bit of information or else we're sort of reporting rumours and we're reporting things that we've heard and we're reporting things that our sources say rather than getting the data or the facts or the, the smoking gun behind that. 
That is the most uh, passionate defence of uh, the FOI system that you'll hear with the sound of the hospital club's cleaners in the background <laughs> <laughs> as they open up for business. Uh, Matt, do you have a view on this? Have you signed the petition? I haven't signed the petition, but I will go and have a look at the, the mediapodcast.com link and have a look at it. I think the other bit is about uh, freeing access to data. Um, you know, this data exists in government systems and you know, a lot of the work GDS are doing and, and with GovUK uh, and to, to make this data available also helps helps do that and there's some questions about i think gds's funding going going forward to do you know the right things for the the public and it should absolutely be part of that too okay let's talk radio now culture minister ed vasey has announced a review of commercial radio regulation <coughs> uh, matt what is this about what's he looking into so there's obviously an interesting thing that you know, commercial radio says every so often we would like less regulation please everyone goes well of course you would say that wouldn't you and there's an element of truth in that however there's also a thing um, about if you are an analog radio station or if you're a digital radio station so if i'm an analog radio station in bournemouth i may have got my fm license by committing to some local content back in probably 10 15 years ago uh, like a breakfast show or local news or and things that um uh, are harder and harder to fund because uh, my business model has changed because of the digital world has happened. Uh, whereas if I have a digital radio station in Bournemouth on, on DAB, I have no none of those uh, local rules um, and th- those commitments. And so you, you could say that a smaller operator on the heritage format who already is finding it difficult uh, is very over-regulated. And so what um, this review is, is kind of looking at all of those questions and finding is there a a balance for the exchange of free spectrum for public good so things like localness uh, and are we at that right level radio is the most uh, i think the most regulated of all the mass medias but it's it's regulated because we know that listeners do like that don't they? i mean alex you're not a, a london born and bred boy are you when That's you go yeah, back sure. home uh, do you value your local breakfast and drive time show on your local commercial station or do you not care frankly i don't care so much because i believe that hyper local and local content exists on the internet for a reason if i want to find exactly what's happening in my postcode i can do so there and if you look at the audience data of any local radio station it skews hugely the older end of the audience because most of the younger audience have found that like hyperlocal blogs like in in london you have the e5 clapton blog you have dulceness you have all of these brilliant different microsites working around and radio as a broadcast mechanism doesn't fit if you want to local local news, you search it out. You don't expect to sort of have it told to you. But it's not just that. It's, it's hearing your local accent on The Breakfast Show. Uh, it is, but do you have to have that exactly from your area? There was always an issue of like, news being kind of made in the regions that you hear it. Well, what if a hub 20 miles away can do that more efficiently and provide staff with development prospects and a more interesting work environment that produces better news? Some of those things have happened and have been very successful and kind of global get a, a lot of crap about uh, how they, they do localism. But I know that by closing down some of their buildings and, and hubbing some things together, it's produced a much better environment for a lot of that work. And the interesting thing about news, I don't think even some of the radio stations would want to get out of it, but how they deliver it might want to change. So if you're in a small radio station, you may, in the, in the daytime, you may be the journalist and the newsreader, which means you're kind of attached to your desk at the top of every hour. And so your ability to report is reduced. Whereas if the reading comes from somewhere else, you can do reporting or you can do it for digital digital or you can do it for the website as well and I think that's the thing that needs to to look at in the round and and just briefly I mean you talked about the 
Ray Giles, the radio ratings for us last episode. What is the Matt Deegan state of commercial radio view at the moment? I think it's pretty good, actually. Uh, I think the the stuff that's doing really well is, is national commercial radio. Uh, so successive digital, DAB, internet, mobile has meant that these stations have large audiences. You know, Kistory over a million, you know, LBC nationally, uh, now the launch of Radio X. Um, these are these are stations that people put quite a lot of effort and money into the content that's really well distributed that people can pick up people are consuming more radio and it means the radio as product is better the stations that actually are losing out are the local ILR stations uh, who for a long time did partly well by being the sort of the least worst option in a market you know it was a broad mainstream station uh, in the middle of Leicester or Manchester or, or, or wherever that a lot of people came to and they're finding it difficult to be all things to all people. Okay, one final story before the quiz. Uh, UTV are selling off their loss-making TV business to ITV. Uh, I, I know what you're thinking, they're called UTV and they're selling off the TV bit, but they are. This means that ITV will now have 13 of the 15 regional licences for Channel 3 in the UK uh, Alex, can you name the other two? What are the two that ITV don't own? It's a this pre-quiz is spoiler. This not a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, no, I can't. No, Matt, can you name it? The Scottish TV. Yes, off. STV still own two of them, Grampian Television and Scottish Television. Correct. But Matt, UTV still managing to keep hold of, of their radio business, which is quite a big deal. Yeah, so UTV in some ways is four businesses. They're the, the TV arm. They have a, the UTV Northern Ireland, which is the, the one actually has been a profitable TV station, but they've recently launched a channel for the Republic of Ireland on the equivalent of Freeview. That's been harder. Uh, what they do have in, in Northern Ireland and in Ireland are commercial radio stations. They have a lot of lo- 13, I think, local radio stations uh, in the UK. Uh, so things like Signal Radio. Uh, then they own Talk Sports, and they're about to launch Talk Radio, Talk Sport 2, uh, as well. So they've got a national radio business, a local radio business, Irish radio business. question is, will they just carry on as a radio operator or is the sale of the television a precursor to them selling off all of their bits? And actually the chance that STV will sell off their TV network to ITV seems slimmer and slimmer now, doesn't it? Because they are one of the few success stories in local television, aren't they? They've actually made it work. Apparently people in Glasgow like watching their local TV station. Yeah, I think, I think it's not okay and it just shows actually by having a good parent company uh, that has a lot of infrastructure already, it's probably a, mu- I'm not saying it's a marginal cost, but a lower cost of delivering higher quality programming than, than other people. I think for UTV the interesting thing is does what happens next. They talked about putting up their local radio stations for sale that's kind of seemingly gone away juice was sold to global radio it's going to become capital we think but the big elephant in the room bauer versus global the talk sport business the national radio business and maybe the local stations could find not a bad home with bauer and it would bring them almost to par with um with global so that's the probably one to watch for 2016 Okay, well, that might be the elephant in the room for you. For me, it's that I've got five minutes to go till I get to try the eggs Florentine here, which I never have before. I'm very excited. Uh, But just before we go, it is time for the media quiz. This week, it is entitled It's Quizmas! Sheesh. Uh, The hard work of advertising execs are now coming to our screens, but can you, Alex and Matt, guess these Adland media stories from these rather shoddily written cryptic questions. Uh, it's quickfire, so you buzz in with your name when you know the answer. Alex, you will say... Alex. Matt, you will say... Matt. The winner gets a telescope, the loser gets ad-blocked. Here's question number one. All these companies want for Christmas is deja vu. 
Which Adland media story is that? Alex. Alex. It's a load of different companies running the same Christmas advert because no one quite thought to check that they were the same. So they're all getting unwanted Christmas gifts. I think it's... Is it Little? Is it and Curry's that have done the same? You're doing very well, yeah. Curry's PC World and Little, the answer is correct, are, are running very similar Christmas campaigns, uh, ads which show people mustering up enthusiasm for less than perfect presents. Can you name the third for a bonus point? No. Fair enough. Uh, it's Harvey <laughs> Nicks, which, uh, to be fair, I, I don't think I watch a programme of the quality that has Harvey Nichols advertising <laughs> in the ad break because I haven't seen that one. Uh, but yes, all three of them showing similar ads. Very good. Here is Christmas Adland question number two. Which ad is this cryptically referring to? Why this luxury eggnog is the height of bad taste. The height of bad taste. Eggnog. It's a web story, really. Uh, Matt. Yes, Matt. uh, Is this a retailer who had a very dodgy ad? Is it an American retailer? Yes, it is. uh, Bloomingdale. Yes, it is. Very good. I didn't offer you a bonus point for it, so, you know, we're still on tenterhooks here. We're, we're equal. Uh, but yes, Bloomingdale's in the States have apologised for an ad uh, that appears to make light of date rape. It I does make light. It's a horrible advert. <laughs> well, spike your best friend's eggnog when they're not looking. You threw me with the phrase. eggnog, but the rest of the thing, yeah. one of my reporters wrote it and was furious about the fact that this advert actually exists. But what were they suggesting that you spike it with? Something horrible, more booze, yeah, some, you know, yeah. rehypnol, GHB. Well, no, I don't think so. <laughs> That's where I'm saying. I'm pretty sure they weren't thinking date rape drug, but I understand the controversy. Okay, right. Question number three. It's a tie. It's all to play for. It's terribly exciting. It's Quizmas. Here's question number three. Who, this is so badly written, who is robbing Santa to pay mates? Pay mates. What could Matt. that be? Yes, Matt. Would that be PayPal? It is PayPal, yes. What's the answer? Uh, PayPal what? Uh, PayPal have um, maybe suggested that um, certain elements of, of the Christmas story aren't correct. Correct, yes. It's okay, we're not on Fun Kids now. Uh, <laughs> PayPal's new advert has got over 200 complaints after parents say it implies that Father Christmas is not real. It doesn't. It just says that PayPal is a way to buy goods, sometimes a Christmas presents. It's not... A, in the same way the eggnog thing is date rape. That is horrible and horrific. This is not an issue at all. It's just PayPal saying, oh, people like buying presents. Use PayPal. There, there are fewer fees involved. Isn't that great? Well done, them. And, and don't spike Santa Claus's drink. But also, <laughs> Father, Fa- Father Christmas uh, is real, and he's uh, presenting on Christmas morning on Fun Kids hey! after he's dropped off his presents. Excellent. On the same day, Trevor Dan typically makes a show for Five Live, so there you go. Maybe he's one and the same. Uh, Matt Deegan, you are the winner of this week's Quizmas. Yay! Congratulations. Uh, Alex, you're the loser, but thank you very much for coming. No. I know, it's put a dampener on the day, what can I say? Have, Still. You, had, have you had a lovely time? <laughs> <laughs> you win the media podcast badge and ruler set. My thanks to Alex Hudson and to Matt Deegan. You can find all of our previous instalments and get new ones downloaded automatically straight to your phone. Just head to themediapodcast.com. Today's show is dedicated to the following brilliant, brilliant people who have made it happen. Thank you. Uh, you are Annika Fjelkegaard, Leo Vigoda, Michael May, Joanna Caird and Carol Davenport. Uh, and also Stephen Shandor, uh, who says uh, the media podcast has great guests and intelligent discussions, but Ollie, answer me this. Why can't you be on even more podcasts? Well, Stephen, funny you mention it, uh, but myself and producer Matt have been working up a men's magazine show. It is called The Modern Man, M-A-N-N. Uh, you might want to check that out. I think it's quite good. Modernman.co.uk. Uh, in the meantime, 
know if you want to support the next episode of The Media Podcast and help keep us going and get more praise from me, then go to themediapodcast.com slash dedicate. Uh, thank you to those of you as well who on Twitter pointed out that we should have big banners saying please donate money right on the homepage. We now do. Uh, I've been Ollie Mann. The producer is Matt Hill. The Media Podcast is a PPM production. And until next time, bye-bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.